I, uh, well, no, I, I heard that, uh, you went clubbing last night. Oh, no, I was just fucking with him. So, yeah, you, they, so you were fucking with Jersey that you went to the strip club? Yeah, I was, I was just up the street at a, uh, a chili cook-off thing. Uh, it wasn't really like a cook-off. So you told him you were going to a strip club and you were at a chili cook-off? Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious, man. talking about it, I was like, so am I. So we get up. It wasn't like a chili cook-off. Just one of us got together, brought some different dishes. Like we did sloppy joes, uh, some venison chili. Like I brought stuff so you can do it like the traditional Cincinnati style, where you put the chili on top of noodles, then you top that with onion and cheese. Cincinnati <laughs> style barbecue? Are you fucking no, with no, me no, right no, now? No, 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 no. It's the chili. Oh, it's not chili. Because like our chili isn't like what most other places think of. Ours is actually a Greek stew. It, it doesn't. You can eat it on its own, like in a bowl, but it's not very good. You have to put it on something. Huh. So it's either like you put it on like a hot dog in a bun, and then you top that with cheese and onion and mustard, or you put it on a bed of noodles. So, so anyway, sounds like sriracha, like Carly with sriracha. She puts that shit on everything. On everything. Well, I I made a bunch of noodles, and you know I'm up north, in the northern part of Ohio, and not a lot of people. Like, they were looking at me like I was freaking crazy. Because I had, like, a whole, pot, like, a half a bag of cheese on top of that, a bunch of noodles. Well, I made a, a bunch of extra noodles. And my buddy up there, Jaron, the owner, he comes out afterwards. He gets to clean up the kitchen. And he comes out fucking with me and gives me this big old... Man, I want to say it was close to, like, a half pound of spaghetti. Oh just spaghetti. God. Just the noodles with about a bag of cheese on top of it. Oh, my God. So... I, n- I never let him beat me. If he wants to like mix a weird shot for me, something <laughs> that's supposed to be gross, you know, I just eat. I, I eat it all, and I'm like, all right, you're not. Jersey's like, uh, ask Rick about going to the strip club, and I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, ask Rick about going to the strip club, and I was like, well, that's an entertaining 20 seconds worth of the show. He goes, 20 seconds? You got to give him like five minutes, man. I was like, what? You want to know how many dimples were on her fucking ass? Well, I think this might be better where I'm getting here. So I eat all this spaghetti. So I got all this starch. And I got all this cheese. And uh, I wake up this morning and I'm like, my stomach is like killing me. And I'm expecting like, well, why haven't I gone to the bathroom? I just ate like all this chili and all these sloppy joes, all this barbecue. Well, I have been like clogged up. I guess I'll keep it as clean as I can. I've been clogged up all day. Like to the point, like I was having like serious pain. Like I felt like someone was like stabbing me in my stomach. So finally, I guess to close out the story, the good news is I am no longer clogged up. <laughs> the bad news is I had to take two showers. Oh, you should have went to the strip club. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have been in the shower scrubbing something else. This is your United States of America. What's up, peeps, freaks, and geeks? Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the GorillaPosition.com and presented by Hami Media. 
On this week's episode, we're talking some things red and blue, a little ring of honor, the upcoming new beginning events over in Japan. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to tell you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news of this news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Shoot us an email at hittingthemarks at gmail.com. My name is Jargo, and the 917, they call me El Capitan. I'm joined as always alongside the hall to my Nash. RBB Huckleberry number one, Rick, welcome back to your show. Hey, yo. It's me, it's me, it's the RBZ, Rick Benjamin here. We are back in the saddle again. We, we've got a loaded rush. Uh, wrestling action from all around the world, Jargo. Uh, I'm excited. Ready to jump right into us, but... Uh, Rick, I, I I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to cut you off right there. We have breaking news, ladies and gentlemen. So it has been announced now, Rick. We have a date. September 1st. Are you all in? I, I tell you what, breaking uh, just what an hour or so here before we're recording... We've got the news, uh, the big date, September 1st, correct? Is that what you said? September 1st. All in. The Bullet Club show is a go. Uh, good, a good spot for a plug here, getting the show going. I've been, I have been on Twitter already with this. Any of our great listeners out there, I'm sure you're also fans of our work with the Hacker Hameen Media Group and one Mr. Ben Hameen. We've been making a hard push to get Ben Hameen versus Dick Justice on that show, we are trying to get the attention of anyone and everyone in the Bullet Club, anyone that's getting that show going. So make sure you jump on Twitter that you're tagging, you're tagging Cody, you're tagging Omega, you're tagging the Bucks, Scroll, Hangman, whoever. Let them know. And then also head on, you can find uh, at Hameen Group, yeah, Hameen Media on Twitter. You know, we've got the petition there. We've also got it on Facebook. Let's stick with the movement and let's, let's get Dick Justice versus Ben Hameen on that super show. My sources... And yes, I have sources. My Stooge report is telling me this show is going to be in Chicago. I'm going to say, I mean, would it be, isn't that almost a common sense call? Um, well, there was a lot of people that wanted the show to be in New York. Um, I think one of the big issues there is rent in New York is significantly higher than it is in Chicago. I think it's much more economical. Um, that and Chicago is kind of the middle of the country. I mean, you're expecting marks from all over the world to come into this thing, but especially inside the United States, Chicago's the middle. So, yeah, if you're looking to draw domestically, that is a great middle ground where everyone can meet there. And then you also throw into, you know, it's the home of pro wrestling tees. So a great partnership with all things Bullet Club there. The other thing I find incredibly interesting in this is it is September 1st. So if nobody else has said it yet, I will now confirm Brian Danielson will not be wrestling on this show. He is ineligible. He won't be. He won't be available till when was it? Like late, late January or December? I'm, I'm late saying. December is when his ninety days is up. Assuming that there is ninety days, which of course we don't know. Uh, the contract itself is up at the end of September. September 29th seems to be the date in my head. So. No Brian Danielson on this show. So the next question becomes, Rick, how in the hell are you going to draw 10,000 people in Chicago, Illinois on the 1st of September? What's, what's the angle here? I think you're going to need a lot of help from the other hot promotions. You know, Ring of Honor, they've got their connections in New Japan. 
This is a question for you. What's happening that time in New Japan? What What are we in the middle of there? That's I mean, pretty G1's much nothing. That's there, right? G1 wraps up uh, middle to end of August, and then you basically have a lull until King of Pro Wrestling in October. Uh, you, you have that? Those guys potentially coming in to help you? It's two weeks on either side of a WWE pay-per-view. Well, I want to get to, I want to talk about WWE's involvement here in just a moment. Uh, but you know, you also Jericho get involved with this. When is his cruise? Oh shit. When is the cruise? That is right around that same time, isn't it? I've got a Google page pulled up here. Uh, other than that, you know, they've also got, it seems like, you know, with, with Cyrus in impact, you know, they could bring in some of those big names. That 10,000 is a lot though. Is it is a big goal. It's a mountain of an accomplishment. They're going to need a home run name there. And I guess, you know, everyone's thinking it's going to be in Chicago. Is there any bigger that maybe would jump on board here than an appearance from CM Punk? Well, see, the thing is, I think all you're going to get is an appearance. Because I don't think Dana is going to let him do that. I, I mean, I, I would see that happening. I think an appearance would be enough. Or, you know, he's there for the live audience. You know, he can do something to interact with them. I wouldn't suspect these guys are going to make this an eye pay per view. Uh, I personally wouldn't. I, if you, if you want to see this thing and they're and they're serious about hitting that ten thousand mark, and you really want to see this thing, you are going to have to buy a ticket. You're going to have to make a trip. You're going to have to be in Chicago or whichever town it's in. I would not offer this as a as a real time viewing option. But let's turn this into more profit, which these guys love to do. You know, in a couple of weeks from this, after this event. You release a DVD. Maybe you bring in Punk to be on your commentary team. Ooh, that's a good one. I would like Punk on commentary. That is a good one. Um, I just I, I pulled this up because I was curious. If you want a point of reference to how many people ten thousand people is in the side of the city of Chicago, Backlash last year drew nine thousand eight hundred people at the Allstate Arena in Chicago. All right, on that card. Jinder Mahal defeated Randy Orton to win the WWE Championship. Kevin Owens defeated AJ Styles. Sami Zayn defeated Baron Corbin. The Usos defeated Breezango. Oh yeah, and the debut of Shinsuke Nakamura. The debut of Shinsuke Nakamura didn't draw 10,000 people in Chicago. This Pretty is going to have to be a other way big... Sh- yeah, I know, man, but Chicago... I mean, you got to figure Chicago straight out the gate. What do you think you're going to sell day one? Well, real quick, uh, the Jericho Cruise is not going to conflict with this. That's not till late October. It's the 27th through the 31st of October 2018. But, you know, just the Chicago crowd, and you have a lot of casuals there that are so used to the WWE running through, running through every couple months. That isn't really a huge spectacle for them. This event is something special. I still think they're going to need some home run hitters here. If you're Cody and the Bucks, all right, and you say tickets go on sale for this event on June 1st, 2018, all right, day one, how many tickets do you want sold so that you say, we're going to pull this off? I would think, you know, in probably the first week, I would be hoping to be pushing that 50% mark of my goal. I would say the first day I would be hoping to push 5,000 tickets. You know, and a lot of this is also going to come into, we, we don't know who, who else is, they're working with. 
Are we going to get some nice travel packages out of this? Is there going to be more to this event that's you know that's going to draw people in? We have some awesome meet and greets night before, like a little fan fest. We don't really know all the details here, but people are are getting excited. They are getting hyped up that we have a date and and soon we're going to have official location. Okay, now my my next question is, how much do you use Jericho if you're the Bucks, Cody, and Kenny here? Because obviously Jericho has all of the knowledge and all of the expertise to pull this off. Jericho also has a name that you could put him on the card and it's going to help sell tickets. And then the narrative on podcasts like this is going to be, it took a WWE guy to pull this off. What I think really helped plays into this is that we are seeing Jericho... Like, like I've said here in the past, Jericho in, these, in this past year has really taken himself to another level where I think he deserves to be you know, talked about amongst those very special individuals in wrestling. He, kind, he, does, he goes where he wants, does what he wants, and he is really hammering home that point now that he is over in New Japan, not just for the one-off. He's going to be working multiple matches there. He has set up this entire cruise based around himself. He has an entire uh, podcast network now that has, is making a big move to a bigger to a bigger outlet. He's a rock star. He's really in control of his own destiny, and I think it would be kind of narrow-minded nitpicking for someone to sit there like, oh, they needed WWE to do this. I cannot believe I met Chris Jericho last year at a shithole bar in Dubuque, Iowa. I just, I, I still, I can't wrap my brain around that as I watch it like Wrestle Kingdom and shit. I'm such a fucking monster. Is it? You know? Is that what you, you, well, you had the photo. Is that where you had the photo off with him? And yeah. someone called you a mark because you were wearing a Jericho shirt? Yeah. And it's like, look at the fucking picture, you goddamn <laughs> idiot. God. Oh, that was good. That was good. Now back to your regularly scheduled bullshit. So let's jump into the mix Match Challenge. <laughs> um... I wasn't really going to bring this up on the show, and we are not going to be covering this very much on the show, but there was a couple of points here I wanted to make. Um, Number one, they promoted this thing between Raw and SmackDown for about 20 fucking minutes on WWE TV this week. You know how much better WWE would be if they did that with NXT every week? Well, you get barely any mention of NXT, you know, unless they've got like a, a special event coming up along those lines or a big match on, on the programming. But you're right, they have really, week after week, it's just been increasing how much they're pushing this thing. And I understand you know, they really want to push the boundaries to see how successful a project like this can be. And again, you know, we talked about this past Monday in the locker room over in the Hacker Hami Media Group. We applauded them for their efforts in trying this new avenue. We both are, are not really big fans of of how they're presenting it. I mean, not how they're presenting, but how, you know, the vessel that they're presenting us. But hey, we, we do like that they're going to social media. They're teaming up with Facebook to try a new approach to getting their product out there. But even driving us, and they really haven't told us anything about it yet either. We don't, we don't know how it's going to work. Is it around Robin? Is it a tournament? Uh, we pretty much know that it's up for a charity is going to get some money. And I'll tell you what, if if my charity is being represented by Alicia Fox and Goldust, well, and I'm a sick kid, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm heading to the boneyard, I guess. Uh, the other reason I wanted to bring it up on this show is because last night, evidently, they taped a match 
for the mix match challenge as the dark match before SmackDown. Okay, I, I didn't see this. Team Uso, which is whichever Uso Naomi is married to, and Naomi defeated Jimmy. defeated a team of Baron Corbin and Tamina. I thought this was going to be live. Well, hold on then. I think this was just a hype match for this then. I thought it was going to be live as well because unless there's been some replacements. Yeah, I'm very curious what the hell's going on here because I really thought this was going to be live. And if it's not live, then what the hell is the point? There's matches. I got it up here. I was under the impression it's going to be live. It's not saying anything that is live. But what throws me off there is that Baron Corbin and Tamina are not included in these teams. Well, see, then this makes absolutely zero sense all the way around. I really hope Baron Corbin is not included in this thing because the live reports that I heard from SmackDown last night, this was a comedy match. Boy, I can't wait to see Baron Corbin involved in an angle like that. Come on. I am actually going to say, I'm going to say this was just a hype uh, like a practice run to see how they actually want to present this thing. I hope you're right. And I hope that they were testing things behind the scenes at Facebook because weird things happen. You think um, that things are going to work one way and technology says, nope. So I hope that this is something Especially, especially with Facebook, you know, big shout out to a, a great project that's coming to the Hami Media Group and to OneWrestling.com with our good friend Big Ray Hernandez. He's going to be going live after Rawls and breaking down the show and pretty much scoring it for everyone at home. He wants that to get as much, so much, you know, live interaction going on. But hey, he learned he learned just as well as you're saying there. That first time out, you want you definitely want to have a test run because you can run into some technical issues. That's pretty much all my thoughts on the Mixed Smash Challenge. I don't anticipate talking about it again on this show unless it is just that god freaking awful. So let's go to Raw in Memphis, Tennessee, and let's kick things off with the often imitated, never duplicated club, which is literally an imitation and a duplication of the Bullet Club. How fucking stupid was that comment? This entire thing is missing for me. I mean, from the very get-go to just, it is, a, like I said last week on this show, the perfect example of lowest common denominator booking. You know, you just arbitrarily just run them out in a little vignette back in the, in the office with Kurt Angle right before you go to break. Uh, then they come out and pretty much just whoop up on a bunch of nobodies. I mean, I enjoyed the talents that they were up against, but we knew where that was going. And then they just kind of just stroll their way out here instead of challenge. In, in the entire the presentation, the commentary team, which I'm probably going to get on quite a few times over covering Raw and SmackDown here. And SmackDown commentary almost, was terrible on both shows. Uh, Smack, SmackDown really pushed me over the edge, but we'll get there. But the commentary team is doing nothing to put over the history, the importance, the domination of this trio here. In then, fact, they literally told their story and told it wrong like when you have a true story a true story and you have picture photoscopic evidence which they show and you tell 
a made-up narrative that's not as good as the real story, which all of us know already? Like, WWE, stop treating your fans like they're freaking idiots. That's why New Japan is catching on right now, because they don't treat us like morons. Well, this entire thing, even to the people, you know, those casuals that maybe are not familiar as, you know, in, de- in depth as we are. But, and I think a good amount of them know Bullet Club now because it's picking up steam. You know, they know the history of it. But still, the way they're being presented here, it's like cheesy smirks and catchphrases. That's the only thing we're getting from them here. There was a hundred ways you could have done this and made it cool. And they picked the one. Over a hundred ways you could have done this. And I've been getting into conversations, let's say, with other fans that, oh, I don't care. I'm just happy that it's happened here. How how could it be possibly better? Perfect example that that these people have been brainwashed into just accepting this lowest common denominator booking. They're just running out the, the lowest form of garbage they can. But as long as it's means to its ends for a lot of these fans, they're just eating it by the spoonfuls. It's irritating as hell. You could have had something so much more impactful. You could have, you know, reinvented, elevated uh, Finn back to the top there. I would have had, you know, make this a lot more about Finn just targeting Roman Reigns. You have a built-in grudge there. Balor beat him in the finals of the tournament to earn his way into that first Universal Championship match. He went on to win that match. Since his injury, he's been pushed aside. He's been pushed to the back. He's never been given a chance to win his title back. But all this time, he has to sit there. He was supposed, he was the guy next. He was supposed to be the next guy. And he could have been building some jealousy here towards Roman Reigns, saying, you know what? I was pushed to the back. I was forgotten. Why they keep pushing you down everyone's throat. I'm pissed off. You know what? I'm taking your belt now. You know what pisses me off the most about this is according to quote-unquote reports, and I say quote-unquote, thank you, Meltzer, Balor was, at one time, intended to be the opponent for Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble for the Universal Championship. If you had done this exact story and put him and Anderson and Gallows back together at this time, so you had Finn Balor with Anderson and Gallows at ringside. And for the first time, Anderson and Gallows come into play inside of one of Finn's matches. And you get that moment where Finn embraces, yeah, too sweet, the club's back together. And turns fucking heel, you could have screwed Lesnar out of the title and been off to the fucking races with the Bullet Club. Instead, this week, they're taking on shit. Otherwise known as the Shield in Training. So you have the Bullet Club, I can't even call them that, the Balor Club, versus shit. This should be a huge match. I, the only good thing about this is Ambrose wasn't there. So it wasn't actually the Shield versus the Balor Club. At least there's still a little bit of mystique there with the Balor Club going over. Now, you had brought up, you know, that this was going to be just god-awful. 
And while I agree, I have a little bit more faith in how they were booked Monday night. So I'm a little bit more up on it than I was going into Monday, but not very goddamn much. Real quick before we jump into the match here, one thing that scares me to death is, you know, we've got Raw 25 coming up here in two weeks. And they're running off the list of the legends and returning stars that we're going to see. And the ones that really, you know, start popping out to me, uh, a Kevin Nash, a Scott Hall, the New Age Outlaws, X-Pac. One giant too sweet. Or, or, you know, you start to have that fade from Wrestle Kingdom. People aren't as hot on things that were happening in Japan. Just in the WWE's own asshole way. I, I don't think they'll go this way, but I'm not going to be surprised in the least bit if Balor Club gets the Ascension treatment. See, I was with you, and then they put them over shit. You know? And, I mean, you know, Finn Balor pinning Seth Rollins is still a big deal. At least on some level. I was I was actually, I was waiting, I was very interested who's making the pin and who's taking the pin was very interested in that going into that match. That's the only thing that was of any interest going into that match. This was the first time this week on WWE that I thought I should love this, and I don't. More to come on that. Like I said, I don't expect that they'll do that. It just wouldn't surprise me, uh, you know, in their own asshole narrative to make sure that they reconfirm that the things that they own, one, they created, and then the two that they own, are much better than this outside faction. The other aspect I wanted to explore here, I think that this Ambrose injury may be a blessing in disguise for Roman Reigns. I saw this on the run here. What's your angle here, man? What do you got going? We all hate Roman Reigns, right? But Jason Jordan annoys the ever-loving fucking shit out of every goddamn one of us. We're going to boo Jason Jordan over Roman Reigns. They are actually positioning Roman as a babyface because we all hate Jason Jordan that freaking much that we're not booing Roman. We're booing I don't hate Jordan. Jason Jordan. Well, I, everybody but <laughs> Rick hates Jason Jordan. I think he's I think he's kind of finding his own groove in that character there. I, I kind of like how he's well, and that's trying, you know, the that thing. That pop his ass and all that. And, that's and I, the and thing. I, and I've said this all along. I give WWE credit for sticking it out with this kid. He's got tremendous in-ring talent. He just needs to find a groove with the character. And I think that he's getting there. It's, it's not- so overly campy. It's the evil dead. You know? I don't like Jason Jordan. Good. You're not supposed to. I don't like that stupid smile on Finn's face. Good. You're not supposed to. No, that comes off as just cheesy to me. I, I but you know, yeah, it gets under your skin, doesn't it? Yeah, no, just a little I bit. You're care. just like, look at that smug motherfucker. Look I don't at care, that guy. I don't care about Finn Balor, and it, it, that's no secret. And maybe the whole reason I keep going back to this, I hope to get the Ascension treatment, is because I would love to see him take a jackknife and just bury his nerd ass six feet under the ring got ascension treatment i couldn't believe that like i didn't even put the ascension bludgeon brothers match on the fucking run i just couldn't even believe that just nauseating shit uh welcome back to the miz we've missed you very dearly miz comes out steals the show because that's what miz does 
Um, the thing I uh, really wanted to hear, what did you think of Elias introducing The Miz? Like, that was his whole role on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, The Miz. Yeah, I was really surprised, and then it just ended there. I thought, I thought it was a real cool little entrance for him there, but I thought maybe he would be joining them. You know, especially how they they, they present The Miz and The Miz Tourage. You know, last time around, they needed some extra firepower. I thought maybe Elias would be... You know, presenting that this time around, you'd have Miz and Elias more on the same level, and then you'd have the two cronies. Uh, but he just disappeared there again. You know, going back to Big Ray's uh, Raw the Score live show afterwards, he wasn't so high on the segment. And in the live chat over in the Hobby Media discussion group, it didn't seem like others were as high on this thing as I was. I thought it was. I thought it was a really good segment to reintroduce the Miz. You know, he come out. Miz is over. People are chanting there, but it. He's so good at what he does. It doesn't take him long to remind everyone that he is the biggest asshole on the block, and and you should be cheering. You should be booing him. I love the promo. I absolutely loved it. I I don't know what people didn't like about it. Huh? Weird. Go back and rewatch it, people. I thought it was a good promo. It was an and intense ex- Miz. And then, especially what we know after the fact, after watching the show, a great setup for things that were to come. Yeah, the closing angle, Miz and the Miz Taraj take out Roman. Um, so now we're going to get Roman and Miz in two weeks at the 25th anniversary of Raw. The timing of this match really intrigues me. Yeah, all the way around. All the way around. You have so much. I guess real quick, too. I just barely saw the rumor. Uh, boy, uh, William Alicia, Alicia was posted it in the group that this thing is this 25th anniversary of raw supposed to last like five hours between like social media interaction and then the actual program i don't know i hope to hell it doesn't because when jersey brought this up to me last night my the first thing that came out of my fingertips was the fucking ego of vince mcmahon like, yeah, we want them to watch five hours of Raw, and then we're going to give them two hours of SmackDown, and then the Mix Match Challenge, and 205 Live, and then we're going to give them NXT, and then we're going to give them TakeOver on Saturday, and then we're going to give them six hours at the Rumble. And it's like, he literally expects you to devote an entire day of your week to WWE. And you know what fans do? Change the fucking channel, because I ain't got that much time to invest in a fucking bullshit you become, TV you, you show. You just become numb to it. But but back to the match itself. Holding off two weeks, I know they want they want a big marquee match for that for that show. And I guess you know your biggest thing that you can present here is the only singles championship that you actively present on live television. <laughs> I get really. It's but, funny because it's true. Miz loses this. Okay, then Roman goes forward. Where, where does win or lose, whoever takes this championship here, where does it leave each individual, and where does it leave us, the fans, as we go into the Rumble? Well, let me ask you this, because I know you're an old-school Misfit, too. Are you ready for the Miz to leave the Intercontinental title picture and be elevated to a true main event star or do you like Miz in that Intercontinental title picture making the Intercontinental title feel important? Which would you prefer? 
at this point is what we know going into WrestleMania season, or I guess what we think we know. The plan remains Roman versus Brock. Right. Coming out of coming out of Mania, though, you have Roman Reigns as champion. Could you see the Miz in that main event scene opposite him? I'm just going to say, you know, WrestleMania season is really hard to get that to elevate someone to that next level, especially into that Universal WWE Championship kind of level. There, at this point on that road to WrestleMania, I would love to see the Miz with the Intercontinental Championship. Being that champion that we rely on each and every week to carry the show and represent, you know, the red brand as a champion. I think that's your hottest move for him there. And then post WrestleMania, then yes, he is definitely ready to go up and begin challenging for the Universal Championship. But what I what I'm kind of leaning on here, all right. So if Miz wins on the 25th or Raw 25. Roman is guaranteed his rematch. We have that at the Rumble. Then, with both of them being in that Intercontinental match, do they both enter the Rumble itself? Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about this. I actually have this on my run sheet. I'm not sure if I included it in yours at the end of SmackDown. Um, We got to get some star power in the Rumble here. Because we are taking all of our big stars and putting them in these obscure one-off matches, which is fine, don't get me wrong, but you know, when you're taking Kane's already going to have a match, Braun's already going to have a match, I mean, it's like half the freaking roster is going to be involved in championship matches, what's left for the Rumble? And you know, the only the ones... So right now, we, we do have six big names that are out. Obviously, you got both of your champs, Brock and AJ Styles. And then their challengers in Braun, Kane, uh, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn. Usually, when you're involved in those types of championship matches, you don't do double duty. Right. And then you Now, have, the rest of the cards you possibly can do, you can pull double duty with. But then you, if you don't do Miz or Roman in the Rumble... You have the U.S. title tournament, which is going to be Bobby Roode versus Jinder Mahal. Okay. You know, and then you know, now you have Gable and Benjamin versus the Usos in a two out of three falls match. And it's just like, okay, um, so who's going to be in the Rumble? Like, I'm trying to think of people that are actually like legit people to win the Rumble here, and I'm running out of options. Even if. You know, you have Miz and Roman squaring off in their Intercontinental. They could both foreseeably enter enter the Royal Rumble match. We've seen that. Right, before. but I'm but what I'm saying is if they have a singles match beforehand that's worth a shit, I don't see either one of them winning the Rumble. And you have the story that they don't win the Rumble because they're gassed. Okay, cool. I'm down with that, but then who wins the freaking Rumble? Uh, well, let me do let me run run through this for you here. As of our recording and most likely to stick by the time this airs at 4.20 in the morning on Thursday the 11th. We have only 11 official entrants into the Men's Royal Rumble. And what do we have here? Are we three weeks out? Yeah. Three weeks out. You can really tell that they are they're almost really downplaying this men's version to, to really hide over. Get the women's thing over. And with a lot, with some fans, it's it's there. But with, you know, with a lot of us, how this thing has been presented from the get go—that it is just more about 
the PR movement with WWE being decades behind the rest of society in their women's revolution. It's more about the McMahon brand hyping up Stephanie and just using these women as, as clogs in the machine than it is about the actual talent. The interest isn't there. I think and it, this is really – it's hurting both matches. The hype right now for the Rumble, we should be on the edge of our seats you know, talking about this thing. And now it's just difficult to make sense of it. But anyway, so right now you're talking about star power. Uh, names that we have officially entered. We have Elias. We have Randy Orton, Nakamura, John Cena, Finn Balor, Baron Corbin, Matt Hardy, Samoa Joe, Bray Wyatt, Rusev, and Aiden English. Mm-hmm. We have 11 entrants announced. Also on this show, we had the Bar versus Titus Worldwide. I'm sure that you're wondering, why are you talking about that match? <clears throat> I don't care about this match. I just want to know why we're pushing Titus and not the Revival. The Revival, once again, nowhere to be freaking found. But Titus Worldwide's on TV. What the hell? I, I'll tell you this, man. When you when you had mentioned a couple weeks ago when they made their reemergence, and I asked you if they deserved something a little more impactful, and you said, no, it needs to be a slow burn. I don't think this is the slow burn you had in mind. Not quite what I had in mind, ladies and gentlemen. Not quite what I had in mind. I... How are these guys ever supposed to get over if they can't work? Like, that's their whole gimmick is they work. No flips, just fists. But evidently, I don't have an agent that's good enough to get me on the card because what the hell, man? I understand they got hurt a couple of times. I don't think any of those issues were their fault. What are we doing? Nobody cares about the revival. So weird. I think right now, which would, would be much more interesting, and this is really no knock against uh, with Apollo Crews and Titus. You know, I think they're, they're both great talents in the WWE, great sports entertainers. They have a role here. And this came off as a fluke win. So I am interested to see where they go from here. What got me immediately when it happened, I said, we just had two guys last month were getting their butts kicked by Samoa Joe two-on-one. And now they pull this off against, you know, arguably the, the best tag team of the last, uh, last 12 months. That kind of that kind of got me. So going forward, I would expect you know next week, the bar should just decimate these two. Now going to, but going to your point of the revival, I would be much more interested in this tag division. Yes, you've got you've got everything that's going on there with with Jordan and Seth. You know your little Star Wars thing going there. Uh, then you also have now now you kind of have the reemergence with Gallows and Anderson involved in there. The bar has the rematch. I would be much more interested in this division if kind of that wild card was the revival right now. Yeah, and they're nowhere to be found. And you know what? I would love to kick back and watch a handful of revival versus bar matches. Oh, absolutely. Even the revival versus Seth and Jordan, I think, would be a fantastic freaking match inside the ring. With Gallows and Anderson as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really hoping that this somehow rehabs Gallows and Anderson, but that's a whole, I could, that's probably like another three hour podcast just about Gallows and Anderson and how they fucked them up. So let's move on to what was probably the big angle. I assume would be the big angle. The uh, Lesnar Kane Strowman, whatever it was, basically Braun Strowman attempted murder of two individuals. What did you think of this segment? I mean, I, it was awesome. 
don't get me wrong. It was awesome. That was quite the spectacle. It was a moment. It's something that people are going to remember. But... Well, you know, there are there are a few moments over the last you know, year that have really stood out to us. And what really this really reminded me of is they are hyping up for Raw 25, and we see, keep seeing these cuts back to the past, all these awesome moments, especially those that include Austin, who you know would just wreak havoc everywhere, chaos. The one they even showed on this show is where the introduction of Mr. Sacco and Austin beating McMahon with the with the bedpan. You know, those great moments like that that made the, the attitude there just so you know, edge of your seat, must-see must, must see TV. We got this here. The, the payoff in this segment, seriously, old-school feel, violence everywhere, perfect timing. Too. They had planned this thing out perfect. This was going off during the, the national championship halftime. Oh, they did have that timed out? Yep. They had it almost perfect. Right when they went into, there was 35 seconds left in the first half. They ran the bar out for their match. And, you know, in 35 seconds in, in you know, American football, that's like 15 seven minutes. to ten minutes of, yeah, of back like real time. So they right when that goes, right when they go to break, Heyman comes out. I was a little worried that they were running out, the, you know, the same old promo with Heyman. Were people going to flip over and be like, oh, they're just talking and then flip away? But I hope some people held on and actually saw us because this is something that would spark, you know, a lot of those throwback fans, spark their interest. I know, and I know you're going to get to it. There was a little bit of a knock on the backside of this thing. It didn't bother me as much, but I'll let you talk about that. Well, it was a pre-tape, ladies and gentlemen. That did not happen in real time. Sorry. Right. Uh, hashtag jump cut. Uh, and th- this is one of those things that I am literally trained to see because it's one of those things that we write up for every one of our news broadcasts at work, jump cuts. Um, you can clearly see when they go from the live to the pre-tape. I don't think anyone was upset about that. or No, I don't think anyone was except for the people that were actually in attendance at the show. Because that caused such a ruckus and none of them heard it. So it really took the live crowd out of the experience. Which is something that I hadn't even thought about from the TV perspective until I heard some live reports. The uh, live crowd did not appreciate that. No, that's, I mean, that's an interesting take. That's, you bringing this up here is the, is the first that I've heard of. The only other knock I've heard on it, you know, people were mad that Kane walked away from it. Well, and I thought, well, I wasn't upset that Kane walked away from it, but I, I did laugh my ever-loving ass off that we have like seven people attending to Brock Lesnar, and the only thing that Kane gets is a poor PA who is absolutely terrified to even look at Kane as he's like stumbling up the stairs. Like that entire sequence, totally, I just laughed it off. But then, you know, a lot of it, the way that the structure fell, it hit Lesnar differently than it would have Kane. Kane was in a more protected area. What I would have done, and I'm sure you would have done this too as soon as you hear it. So as you're taking Lesnar out, poof, giant ball of fire, and Kane is gone. Let's bring back supernatural powers, Kane. Come on, Undertaker's going to be here in a couple weeks. Let's establish that narrative. I want to see Undertaker shoot lightning at somebody. 
Do something cool. But no, you have the big red monster stumbling off into the shadows. Oh, you know what I want? You know what I really, really want for Raw 25? You want a big match just to sell people? And, it, and I know logically booking the match never gets underway. We just get a huge brawl. But I would love right now you start advertising the Brothers of Destruction versus Braun and Brock in a tag match. Just one of those crazy, let's throw competitors out there, people that don't like each other, that have history, see what the hell happens. And I know they're not going to go out and work a match. Just have a brawl break up before anything gets going. I just want to have Undertaker shoot lightning at Brock Lesnar or something. Or at Paul Heyman. Yes. I want to see Undertaker shoot lightning at Paul Heyman on Raw 25. Anything less, I'm going to be disappointed. So let's move on to the Jersey Mike segment presented by Kleenex. Introducing new softer Kleenex tissues. Now in prettier packages. Sometimes a little change can make a big difference. Kleenex, softer, prettier. So there was a tag match on this show. It sucked. There's nothing to talk about. That's pretty much how I felt no, about that. I didn't think the tag match was that bad. I thought it was one of the better matches of the night. Oh my god, I thought it was god awful. I'm like sitting, I, I, I'm sitting here like half asleep because I was trying to get to sleep, right? Because I sleep through raw. That's what I do. And my kids are causing a ruckus, and the neighbors are doing laundry, and then the wife gets mad at the kids for causing a ruckus, and then I get pissed off about it, and then I yell at the kids, and the next thing you know, I can't go to sleep. So I actually saw this match, and I'm like laying in bed, half asleep, watching this match, and with my eyes closed, I could see them calling spots. That's how bad this match was to me. It just it, it seemed incredibly clunky. Didn't enjoy it whatsoever. Although I do pop every time Sasha Banks is in a tag match now because I know Jersey's going to get pissed off about it and bitch to me about it for at least four hours. I was fine with it. I am very I'm very intrigued by the duo of Mandy Rose and Antonio Deville. I think there's tremendous upside to these two. I I do realize that they they are green now. They were kind of thrown into a situation that maybe they just quite weren't ready for. But I see great upside in them, is especially as a duo. I am ready for them to get away from Paige. Uh, she looked terrible in this in this segment. The evolution into the Joker continues. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on her. There. I am ready for them to break away from her. Those two got a, a great look together. They got a great chemistry. I'm looking for them to keep improving. I think there is money in these two down the line, and as much money as you can get. And women's wrestling. My biggest problem, I, it was a, it was a, all the way around the wrong finish. Uh, you could have had your your babies go over by disqualification, something along those lines. I which would have which more would have preferred to see the heel steal one here. Wrong finish. And I'm pretty much, I guess I can sum up. Even when we jump over to SmackDown, I can let you do the talking here because I'm gonna say the same thing again. Wrong finish. I that really the only takeaway that I had from this match was good for you, Mickey James. Good for you. She looked great. Hey, anytime she gets that hardcore country vibe, she rocks it. I don't know why they keep running her out in the early 2000s Mickey year. It makes no sense. Much more intriguing on this show. We had Asuka and Nia Jax. Uh, Rick, here's a question for you. 
how do you book Asuka in a 50-50 world and still maintain the winning streak? I know. Let's have Nia jump her before the match even starts and lay her out. That won't damage her at all. This was basically Asuka taking a loss without taking a loss. Well, come on. You know, this This is no secret here. They And I always said, let's give Asuka until the Rumble to really judge how they were going to handle her when she left NXT. Uh, up to this point, unless they, they pull a rabbit out of their ass here in the next three weeks, this has been a, a damn near fail. Yeah, I give it a D. Uh, they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, the only way this could have like been an F is they actually they had her take a pin somewhere. Yep. At least they're holding on to that. But everything else has been a complete disaster with her. And this really goes back to her joining the Survivor Series team. She completely became out of character. You know, she's not... There, she was embracing the other girls. She's sitting, she's smiling and giggling along with them. Uh, she had probably the cheesiest giggle when they announced this Rumble thing. She, she's hugging the Miz on this episode as well over this mixed match challenge. That is not Oscar the Assassin Killer that everyone has come to love and fear and invest in. Everything well, you I, just said, I agree with. And then what absolutely put, pisses me off, absolutely pisses me off, is this no-talent hack. The only professional wrestler, I don't even know if I, if I can actually say that with a straight face here, uh, sports entertainer that you will ever hear me totally bear because I respect everyone that makes a sacrifice in this business. I do not feel that she has done this in any way. She, is, she remains green as hell. She has no charisma. She, she actually, not even uh, not just void of charisma, she actually drains any kind of energy or charisma from any scene that she's in. Nia Jax is just beyond terrible to me. She is very replaceable. You know, if if she wasn't the Rock's cousin and she didn't weigh 300 pounds, no one would give a shit about her. Here's what I don't understand. So you see Alexa go up and talk to Asuka and tell Asuka her plan. Bliss then goes and executes the plan and Naya doesn't buy it because she knows Asuka doesn't speak English, which is funny because we literally just saw a promo package with Asuka speaking English. And then Naya goes out and does Bliss's dirty work anyway after she walked away from her backstage and she was pissed off that Alexa was trying to manipulate her. Like there was an entire chapter there missing where Naya was like, listen, I know you were trying to work me. I'm still going to do this, but it ain't for you. It's for me. There was a whole chapter there missing. And it just led to this giant disconnect where like Oscar comes walking out and it's like, wait, so we're getting Naya versus Oscar. I thought Naya just shot this down backstage literally 30 seconds ago. You know, a better move would have been here, and I think it would have been much more impactful and give us a lot more setup. You know, throw out just the, the moronic setup that we just saw Asuka talking to the Miz, talking to us on camera. But have Jax dismiss, you know what? I'm not doing your dirty work. You know, I will go. Th- I am on a collision course with Asuka. I will go through her. I will handle it my way. This whole jumping her from behind was bullshit. If you're like this big dominant monster... 
I think it would have been more impactful and it would have been much more drama created if they went out and had a face-to-face standoff. You mean like broken Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt? Maybe they could just stand in the ring no. and laugh at each other for uh, no, a minute no, and a half? Oh my no, no laughing. Uh, hey, it's real hard to laugh when you're blown up from a match, isn't it? Yeah, he was evidently. struggling like crazy. Man. I think it would have been much better to have her come out and say, you know what, I, I am going to get you. I am going to go face-to-face with you. Don't worry about any of these dirty tactics that these other girls might pull. When it comes down to it, I'm here to throw down with you. Yeah, it, I just I didn't understand any of it. Like whatever the story was there, totally over my head because logically it did not make any sense. Didn't make any sense. Samoa Joe versus Rhino. Um, unfortunately, we do know that now Samoa Joe was injured in this match. Uh, completely changes what I was going to talk about here because what I wanted to talk about here was the Joe promo afterwards when the name John Cena came up and I was going to ask you this whole thing or maybe well, no, Undertaker's we, out, you know, we're going to get Samoa Joe versus I, Cena at Mania. I think we can jump to that. You know, from my understanding with this injury is he should, he should be able to go uh, for the WrestleMania run. Uh, what There's, I'm hearing is two weeks to three months. Which is fine, but I feel like if you're going to have part-time Cena, how can you have injured Joe carry the program on TV? That's the problem. I think there are, there are ways you could hide it with, you know, with backstage attacks, interviews. But, you know, we see this. The problem is, here, here's my issue. Now we're going to do part-time Cena. If Taker's coming. I mean, how many part-timers are running these things? A lot of this is going to be filler to Mania. Yep. I am not buying into, I know this was a hot conversation. I, I was getting kind of heated in a conversation with uh, our good friend, our good friend Aaron and, and Money MacGyver over in the, in the I mean, media discussion group. You know, everyone was sitting, oh, it's, you know, Joe Cena. I mean, to me, I don't even think this is, this match is on the radar at, at WrestleMania. Well, well we I would agree with you. Rumors. I would agree with you, but Joe and Cena do have history, which they actually did talk about. That was one of the very few things on commentary that was actually worth a freaking hell all week. And I could see Cena wanting to do that for Joe, considering how far back they go. So it's not that far-fetched in my brain that we would get Cena versus Joe at some point. Why not Mania? If Taker can't go. All right, I will give into this if Taker can't go. I actually want to think about that. I can come up with something else. Because we heard these rumors that, that Cena Styles wasn't even considered because it wasn't a big enough mania moment or match for John Cena. And it's hard for a lot of people to hear this, but that is a very true statement. John Cena has elevated himself up beyond a point where it's just about, you know, that even that title match with AJ there. More so, you need someone on that level to face the Undertaker, I believe he is going to be ready to go. We are going to have Undertaker. You can run John Cena out there against him. John Cena can take the loss to put over Undertaker in what, I don't know, maybe is his last WrestleMania match. And not only does John, is he able to absorb it, he actually can turn it into another program going forward and move himself forward. The obvious segue here is... To Undertaker Watch 34.
This report comes to us via our friend William Alicia. The Undertaker was backstage at this week's SmackDown Live. Some fans spotted him arriving at Birmingham International Airport on Monday night. Coincidentally, Birmingham is where many wrestlers fly into when they need to see the orthopedic wizard that is Dr. James Andrews. Uh, that's probably why he was in Birmingham, WWE being there, added bonus. Why do you suppose Undertaker is uh, visiting with Dr. Andrews? Maybe uh, checking to see how that hip is? Yeah. Getting you okay, you know? Getting a couple more. You go get a couple more looks at it. Measuring it up. Maybe comes in and gives them a final answer if he's ready to go at 25, you know? Yep, I think 25 is when we will know which way we're going here. As always, stay tuned as further events develop on Undertaker Watch 34. Anything else that you wanted to comment on when it comes to Monday Night Raw, Rick? I think we covered it all there, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, to forge forward. All right. Well, I've got about an hour on the uh, Skype machine here. So uh, let's take a break, smoke a cigarette. And uh, then we'll do uh, SmackDown, uh, talk a little bit of Royal Rumble, ROH, New Japan. Sound good? Sounds good to me, sir. Let's let's break it, and we'll meet you here in five. All right, sounds good, man. We'll be right back. I'm aware that right now, a lot of us feel like chips are down. Sick of being kicked around. Thrown on the ground, picks right back up, then tossed in the lost and found. Stumbling, lost your ground, but it sounds like a chance for you to recover quickly. If you know anything about a struggle at all, the hustle is real, you probably already get me. So I need all of you with me. The Killer City Committee, the Midwest version of the Avengers. Going harder than Bobby to Whitney. The enemy's shifty, so we gotta react swiftly. Whenever negativity hit me, I try to get it in check quickly. Came to know playing the role of a psycho was not gonna fit me. Cause I'm not so 50, but I do know this. We all have the power in every moment. The time is ours. Counting minutes, seconds, hours. Death to cowards. Fight the power. Smite the liars. Light the fires. Brighter, higher till we burn them down. Take the tables, then we turn around. It's worth the search. If freedom's found, are you a hero? Who needs a hero? Someone who's always strong A source of light When things go wrong What we need is a hero Who's always there to take flight Who can mend our wounds And defend our rights What we need is a hero Someone prepared to lead the way Who can brave our world And save our day Hero Who always knows what to do Someone like me, someone like you What we need is a hero I watch it all unfold and then I take my chosen road This one goes out to everybody living state to state Place to place and coast to coast The rioting, committing acts of violence The leave us divided, you can take your own control The kids looking up to us for guidance Now they want to try it, how are they supposed to know? It's like we all want to fly, uh, nobody want to fall in a line But sometimes you got to swallow your pride And apologize for all of the time you were wrong To cauterize the wounds that we harbor inside uh, Ain't nobody perfect, we need to organize the community Stop living like Lord of the Fly I know it might seem hard It's important to try To keep a light on And center it at the core 
destroy your life. Go to war with the mic, shoot them down with a peace sign. The system of control is an intelligent design. I need a second look at many elements refined. We're looking for a hero that can help us defeat crime and settle the beef. If you only throw a rock at police line, you're really not a rebel to me. It isn't us versus them. We all one stand together in unity better than lying dead in the street. And what we, we need, need is a hero. Someone who's always strong, a source of light when things go wrong. What we need is a hero who's always there to take flight, who can mend our wounds and defend our rights. What we need is a hero, someone prepared to lead the way, who can brave our world and save our day. Hero who always knows what to do. Someone like me, someone like me. This world is what you make it. Oh yeah. In the end, we're gonna make it. What we need is a hero, someone who's always strong, a source of light when things go wrong. What we need is a hero who's always there to take flight, who can mend our So let's jump into SmackDown Live from Birmingham, Alabama, home of the national champions. Roll Tide got the biggest freaking chan of the whole freaking night. Did you uh, did you uh, watch Raw or did you watch the football game or did you kind of flip back and forth? You know, I, I was so involved in the live discussion. Thank you, Ace, once again, an amazing job. Uh, Monday evening with our, our live discussion thread over in the Hameen Media Discussion Group on Facebook. I was so involved there that I was probably focused more on the conversation there than I even was on the television at times, uh, which mainly stayed on Raw. I went to the the football game right at a, right around that time where I thought they were going to be rolling Lesnar out. I want to see where the football game was at. That's how I knew that they were at the halftime break or heading into halftime there. Uh, other than that, I didn't watch it to the end in the overtime after Raw had went off the air. So, I mean, I, I pretty much stayed loyal to wrestling. I got to work at, you know, 11 o'clock or whatever. Everybody gets out of there. I grab my iPad and I get a text from my buddy. Oh, shit, we're going to overtime. And I was like, oh. Well, maybe I'll throw it on my iPad, you know, on the ESPN Watch app and just kind of have it on in the background there. By the time I got it loaded up, I saw two plays. I saw the play before the play that ended the game and the play that ended the game. That was all that I saw of the game, and it was really all that was important. So I was completely okay with that. Congratulations to any of our uh, Alabama Crimson Tide alumni or fans. You know, going in, I, I, I had no dogs in the fight there. I was rooting kind of for Bama. Everyone knows here, you know, my gimmick with Ohio and all things Ohio. But when Bama made it, I wanted them to kind of win it just for the overall betterment of this playoff system. I don't want, well, they see they shouldn't have been in their talk. I hate talk when they talk about expanding this playoff system. I'm not even a fan of this four-team system. I think it has really tarnished the regular season and the great tradition of college football, which, by the way, is an amateur sport. 
We don't need to decide this with big championships and all that. So I like that they've won it there. And especially at the end, at the end of regulation, their kicker had just shanked one to the far left that could have won the game. And I hope that they would have held on to win the game just for that poor guy. The lowly world of a kicker, especially, you know, when you're only maybe like a you're what, 19, 18, 19-year-old kid. To lose something on that grand of a stage like that, I mean, it could just like ruin your, you know, laces out, finkle you for life. One of the best kickers I ever saw was Blair Walsh. Played for the Minnesota Vikings. Every time that guy came on the field, boom, guaranteed three points. He missed a couple kicks and his career was over. Just once they lose confidence, man, kickers are weird, finicky people. Weird, finicky people. Speaking of weird, finicky people, let's talk about AJ Styles sitting down say, with uh, Renee about? Young. <laughs> uh, the thing I really wanted to, obviously, this was not a good promo. It, it, just, it was not good. The thing I really wanted to talk about with you here, why wasn't this just a sit-down interview backstage? I mean, I'm surprised AJ Styles wasn't booed out of the building. We, we, we all know that AJ Styles is a Georgia Bulldog. Why was this not a pre-tape sit-down backstage with Renee Young? I'm going to do you one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see you here, and I'm going to up you one. Remember, I mean, this used to be an old trick on ECW television that Paul Heyman used to implement that was just tremendous that would go up through the entire show. I agree with you 100% this should have been like a pre-tape backstage, and I would have broken it into segments. And really got in depth, really got personal with it, and ran it throughout the show so that you have something to look forward to. Yeah. Running through this whole thing. Time with the champ. And obviously, you know, you don't get out there for that live. You don't have that live, maybe negative feedback coming at you. And it's a, and if you do these more often, it's a way to, that you present your champion or your big names on television without having to feel that you're forced to put them in in-ring action every week. Yeah, I just was not impressed here. And here's the thing. like, Let's say call time is at 1 o'clock, right? So at 1 o'clock, AJ Styles walks in. They hand him a script and say, this is what's going to happen. Because you could tell that was AJ Styles trying to remember his scripted lines. I would have much rather seen them say, AJ, tonight what's going to happen? You're going to have an interview with Renee Young. Go get with Renee. Go over the questions. Get your answers together bullet points. This is what we want you to hit on. Okay, cool. And let him just speak instead of sitting there trying to remember 10 minutes worth of fucking dialogue. You know, the, the way it came off terrible. I will say I did like this idea in putting Renee in a position like this. Renee young is amazing. She is such a professional. She is so freaking good. She may be the best person on WWE TV. Well, you do this backstage as well. And then even if you're not comfortable with AJ's organic answer, you can recut the fucker. Yeah. Have, <laughs> have a producer there be like, no, do that one again. Wait, we, we really need you to hit on this bullet point, you know, but just do it worked. Don't script the whole damn thing. Make it come off organic. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. Then we get the Shane and Daniel Bryan involvement leading to a main event with two heels versus three baby faces. This drove me crazy. Yeah. It, it's just, 
the logic inside of the booking and psychology is just completely out the window. This entire show is about Shane and Brian. And I don't care unless Shane and Brian are going to fight. And I don't think that's going to happen. Well, then you also, what really got, got me here is almost the disrespect to Shinsuke and, and Randy Orton. I said on this show weeks ago, how long until Randy Orton gets tired of playing Shane McMahon's puppet? You know, I, I and now I'm leaning more and more towards the WrestleMania match is going to be Randy Orton versus Shinsuke Nakamura. You think they're holding that right now? It really seems like that's the direction that they're going. It's just well, a matter throw, of time until Orton turns. You know? uh, Big, Ray, Big Ray had pitched this. Uh, I don't know if it was in one of the locker room episodes or you know, that guy. That guy is all over. If it's in the locker room, if well, it's he's the, the man. Attack. If it's over at OneWrestling.com, if it's just in the humming media discussion group, that guy does an incredible job. He is all over the place. But this kind of stuck out and had some conversation going. He believes that we are going to get a, a twist into this match where it's somehow be going to become a four-way, a fatal four-way for the WWE championship. Do you see the move in that direction? Or are they really going to stick this out with this handicap match? I don't know. What bugs me about this, the thought of this handicap match is we have the potential. I mean, you talk about just, just totally disrespecting some of your, your top titles. We have the potential to have one, a champion who will probably only make maybe six appearances top between the rumble and mania. And then you're going to free bird rule the other one. I heard a rumor last night from a person who doesn't give out rumors very often that said one of the matches on the table is John Cena versus Kevin Owens for the WWE championship at WrestleMania. And that makes me kind of want to puke in my mouth. You know, again, we're getting all these Cena scenarios and I guess it all goes back to, you know, rest on the undertaker. So we'll save that a little bit there, but I want to just go back to this, like this setup here, you know, they just, he just comes out and says, yes, Nakamura and Orton are going to be involved in this. What I made a little more sense, you know, if Randy, Randy's supposed to be pissed at these two still, for quote unquote ruining Survivor Series, would it be more in the uh, character of the Viper to come out and kind of say, you know what, let me cut you off there. I know AJ's got these two clowns coming up to Royal Rumble. I want their asses by myself tonight to show to show the world. I'm gonna expose these two. Yeah, that would have been logical. That would have been logical. Then you set up something there, but then you do you do keep rolling with your heels. You have them not you know not kick the shit out of Orton, but go over on him. This this two heels versus three babies does not work on any level of wrestling psychology, human psychology, human logic. None of it, just none of it worked for me, and it's all to advance Shane and Brian. And it's like the one storyline that they have actually decided to take their time and tell. It's like they don't even know where it's going. 
I just don't understand it. Well, you know, going into this program, when they announced it was a handicap match, immediately, man, it just left a bad taste in my mouth. You know, I'm thinking, all right, so we're going to have co-champs going back to that. We're going to freebird this the top singles championship. I was hoping that in a follow-up week, you know, possibly what we should have seen this past Tuesday. Excuse me there for a minute. Got to get a swig of water. What I was hoping that we would have seen is that AJ would come out and start kind of putting a divide between those two. Okay, Sammy, you want to be a co-champ with him? All the things, you know, and say, like, why don't we just make this a triple threat? Or even the best one of you two, if you could better me, walks out the champ. Why do you Why do you need to be uh, butt buddies with him all the time, you know? When they laid out this, we're going to be co-champion thing, that's when I expected Shane to come out and say, oh, no, no, no. This isn't going to be co-champions. This is a handicap match, but whichever one of you pins AJ Styles, you're going to be the champion. Well, the confusion, it seemed like they didn't come out and say that, but they were kind of alluding to, towards that angle. That's, that's what it needs to be, because then you have dissension about which one of the heels is going to want to make the pin. AJ's laid out. Owens goes to make the pin. Sammy pulls him off. Sammy goes what? to make the pin. Owens pulls him off. What I thought would have been kind of funny, going back to Ray's theory that we're going to end up with the fatal four-way here, is that you would end up with, you know, you got Sammy, KO, and then you have the, the champ in their styles. I was just thinking it would be kind of funny, and it just get people so hot, you know, that Shane comes out and says that, you know, he, he's decided to, as a good, uh, a sign of goodwill, He's going to give the final spot to Daniel Bryan. Get the music playing. Daniel's out there. And he's and he's actually like, wait a minute, I'm cleared now. I actually can do this. Yes, you're going to go to the Rumble. And then, oh no, wait a minute, you're not cleared. But since I'm your good friend in management, I'll take the spot for oh, you. Man. <laughs> Shane puts himself in there. You talk about some heat, though. What, I don't know. So what is? Me, but that moment would be kind of I don't know would make me pop. I guess. What is the angle here? Like, are they just trying to damage Brian so he's not worth as much come September 29th? Because that's kind of what it feels like to me. I think that's kind of the sentiment, you know, that many fans are starting to pick up on here. That's going to backfire on them terribly. Well, do you do this where you kind of make him into your dickish figure and then just then just take him off television after Mania? So that he hopefully just, you know, like the last thing you remember is like, ugh, and then he just disappears. I don't know. Because you can't drag out this this stuff for almost a year, could you? I don't know. Um, Hunter made comments, well, I should say Paul Levesque made comments uh, yesterday, two days ago, regarding Brian. And it sounds like they're kind of sticking to their guns, that he hasn't seen or heard anything that is going to indicate that Brian is ever going to be cleared. I guess one good side to this, we are dealing with some people that do respect traditions in within professional wrestling. So we could be getting worked in some way. And I would agree with that, but it very much was Paul Levesque talking, not triple H like this, like, this, like, like you said, this seemed like it. We see four versions. Oh, I know. Together oh, I know. But I, when it's in a business setting like that and he's dealing with actual media, not 
wrestling journalists, I think you're going to get a very different perspective. But I, I very I, well could I, be I, wrong. I could I be wrong. The, I think that's the ultimate time to do something like that. But hey, I don't know because I was I, with Ben. I, 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 uh, I was kind of hope we're getting work, not just for the payoff of Daniel getting back in the ring because I don't even know what really what big payoff is there for him to return to the ring. Actually, I, I you know I'm not really sold on that. I like I would like just mainly for this all to be work just so we can get some of those traditional values. Were you a Daniel Bryan guy? Uh, I was into the yes movement. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, let's move on to something else here. Uh, Becky's redemption. Uh, Becky Lynch returning. I think this was the right booking. Uh, Jersey had an issue with it last night. Thought Riot should have went over. Becky's big return match, basically a re-debut. I thought this was the right booking. Rick, go ahead and give the other side. I, I just agree that you, you've got this this hot young uh, faction up. I still think it's too early. I just like the night before. What really got me is that not even that you have them go back to back, but both by submission. This mirrored booking between these two groups—that's what really irritates me. There, you know, again here, I, I maybe would have come up with, I would have done something else to to move this program along. Becky goes over by a DQ. We get a no contest, something along those lines. I just think having Riot tap in the middle of the ring, especially when we've seen this the night before, was the wrong finish here. The big thing I wanted to talk about here is Ruby Riot. Because as I was watching this, I had one thought. Ruby Riot does not belong in the ring with Becky Lynch. And I say that in her presentation. Ruby is a fine worker. Watched Heidi Lovelace for a very long time. But she is not being presented as a star at all. Look at Becky's ring gear. Look at her entrance gear. Look at the Tron. Look at the lighting. Listen to the music. Listen to how commentary puts her over. How she interacts with the crowd. And then the Riot Squad comes out. The Tron comes up and it simply says Riot Squad. Not even a highlight package, just Riot Squad. There's no special lighting. The music sucks. And Ruby comes out with a scowl on her face looking like, you know, she just started her period. She just looked like a bitch, you know, which is fine, but there's like no character there. There's well, nothing. So the problem here, it it's shallow. On. It falls on going back that they that they rushed these these women up. Right? I don't want to say that they rushed these women to Raw and SmackDown. Yep, she there never had no time to figure out that character in NXT. There, there was no long term planning here. It was, hey, we need bodies for this women's rumble. We need to get some attention over here on this. We need to we made the, we need to give the visual to to trick to trick the marks into believing we're we're, we're shaking it up. We're doing something different. This revolution, it's reviving, it's its alive, it's strong, we're going into a rumble. But all it was was just adding more cogs into the machine to keep driving this bullshit movement. And there was no no thought to make these to make these ladies stand out from anything. Becky comes out looking like a star. Charlotte comes out looking like a freaking star. Naomi you know comes out looking like a star simply because of the entrance. And then the riot squad comes out, and it was flat. All right, bra brace yourself, brace yourself. I have a, I have, 
I have a knock to throw out here on this match, and it, it has to do with my precious Sharshar. Stop the presses. She is coming out there to back her friend as muscle to make sure that these new scoundrels don't get involved and, you know, take out Becky or do anything to harm her again, correct? Uh-huh. Why the fuck does she need to be wearing the robe the whole time and have the title? Why the fuck does she need her full entrance? Why did right. Naomi need her full entrance? Just right. come out with Becky to Becky's music. Yes. Make it about the people in the ring there. You don't need your grand entrance. But yeah, I, I immediately, as I was watching that, I was like, this is an indie wrestler versus Becky Lynch. That's very much how it felt to me. And that's the presentation that is on management creative. Yep. Entirely. Entirely. Then we had Shelton Benjamin with a microphone, which is never very good. Um, did it feel like Stellar Nebula was doing the Usos gimmick to you? Like, it very much felt like they were doing, like, the Usos penitentiary gimmick. Like, one of them would talk, and then the other one would jump in and say something else. And then the other one would talk, and then the other one would jump in and say something else. I, I will be honest with you. I didn't, pay, so I didn't pay that much attention to the promo. Very much felt like an Usos promo. Probably the same writer. And was like, no, this is how you deliver that. And yeah, it wasn't very good. Um, and then, so Brian comes out. And Brian makes the big mistake of saying one of the dumbest things I've heard, but not the dumbest thing on the show. We'll get to that in a second. The referee's decision is final. And Shelton's like, yeah, the referee counted one, two, three. And it's like, what the fuck are we even talking about right now? You're exposing everything about this that's bad. Why... What are we doing? So, yeah, now we got to beat the Usos twice. That's a great idea. Let's have a two out of three falls match. What? You know, going back to that, that entire finish, I don't think anyone was buying into that. You know, everyone's like, okay, now we're just arbitrarily just running out of other officials and we're having reviews on professional wrestling. I mean, let's go back and just completely throw away the record book, everything that we've known leading up to this point. And we've seen things like this happen in the past. But this is just, this was just complete garbage. I mean, why aren't we moving forward with reviews and two referees in every match now? I love Shelton Benjamin, but I'm quickly remembering why Shelton Benjamin had a ceiling. Even if you wanted to have, if you, or you did go with that officials with the Dusty last week, come out and address it. You say, you know what? Things happen to professional wrestling. We, we always try to... Know, rectify the wrongs, but we do that inside the ring. There might have been a mistake there between the two referees changing the decision last week. What we're going to do, we are going to vacate the tag team championships, and you will each have a chance of that in a two out of three falls match against one another at the Rumble. Why do we need a two out of three falls match at the Royal Rumble? I don't know, because, you, because we've seen this match for three months, so now we have to slap a gimmick on it? Well, and it's like you already have two matches that should go about an hour, and now you're going to throw in a tag team two out of three falls match that is either going to go way too short or 
it's going to be a 45-minute match. Well, we have currently right now we have seven announced matches for the Rumble. Now, remember, though, this is going to be a six-hour event. That's what I'm saying, man. So is this that two really out of, necessary? Two out of, this two out of three might get 15 minutes, but it, it might get it on the pre-show. That crowd is going to be so gassed. I mean, of all the pay-per-views, I think the Rumble is probably the most emotional of them because there's the, the hype and anticipation, not only for the match, but every two minutes you go through it again and that adrenaline gets going and who's it going to be. And, and now, now you're going to do that 60 times. Yeah. And I just think by the time that match is over, the crowd is just going to be cheering that it's time to go home. They are going to be exhausted. I, I'm afraid that we're going to end up with a very lackluster Royal Rumble this year. And that's disappointing. We got seven matches now. How many more do you think we get added here in the next three weeks? Two, maybe? Well, I almost expect an Intercontinental title match. That would get us up to eight. And then we might get something stupid for the pre-show. Like, uh, remember when I used to do, like, number one, number 30 matches on pre-shows? I think your pre-show match is the Bludgeon Brothers versus the Ascension and Breezango. And have the Bludgeon Brothers squash all four of them. I can see that. I can see that. So let's talk about the rest of the tag division. Because as Daniel Bryan said on this show, and yes, this is the dumbest thing I think I have ever heard. Our tag division is on fire. So let's take a look at the rest of the tag division. The Bludgeon Brothers versus the Ascension. What a classic. I mean, this should have headlined Wrestle Kingdom. And then, then we had the greatest match of all time. Like Macho Man Steamboat, fuck right on off out of here. Breezango versus Rusev Day. Rick, I should love this. Why do I not love this? Why well, do I wasn't buying it? Because what is there to get excited between? I know we got some great competitors in there that could put on some great matches, but this has been relegated to it. It's a comedy act. So you're telling me that you have the best tag division in the world when you have Brizango, Rusev Day, The Ascension, and The Bludgeon Brothers. And then Stellar Nebula with Shelton Benjamin on a microphone. Well, so I'm saying, you know, you, <sighs> if you run, down the, you run down the talent that you have here, this could be a, a hot division, right? Yeah, it could be, but, but it as, certainly as we isn't. Talking, as we were just talking about here with, with the Riot Squad. This falls on management creative. You know, they're not, they're not treating it with any respect. It's a sideshow act. Anything on SmackDown. Hell, they're doing the same thing with the U.S. title term. Yeah. Anything on SmackDown that, that is outside of Shane McMahon, or right now include, you know, Daniel Bryan, and they've thrown in, you know, his the two counterforts were KO and Sammy, and now they got the world title in there. But anything that's outside of Shane McMahon, we've seen over the course of the last year, is a far second thought to their creative process. I also wonder if that line was planted to make Daniel Bryan lose credibility with fans where they're just like, okay, let's make Bryan overly cheesy and completely delusional. Our tag division's great. Look at how good our tag division is when we're all watching it and going, 
Brian's full of shit. Brian's full of shit. And those are just the little seeds that they plant in the back of your mind that bring Daniel Bryan down another notch. Anything else that you wanted to comment on when it comes to SmackDown, Rick? The only thing I wanted to touch on, Monday was pretty bad. Tuesday was just horrendous. Difficult, difficult to get through with the sound on. I am sorry. Corey Graves is nothing more than a hipster Michael Cole. He is, he just looks to a certain part for these fanboys that think he's cool. He does a terrible, terrible job on commentary anymore. For what he represented in NXT, what people were buying into, you better believe now he is nothing more than a simplified pitch man who between pitches isn't even about getting talent over. He's out there trying to stroke his own ego. I am sick and tired of hearing about how great he is. As I said, he is nothing more than a hipster, Michael Cole. And the bickering back and forth between him and Saxon on this episode, is it's never good. But this, I don't even know, I don't even know how to describe how bad this was. Man. This was like the bottom. If, the bottom, rock bottom. If you are a Corey Graves fan, and you are still defending Corey Graves on commentary. You are just as delusional as Jersey Mike defending Sasha Banks and Bailey because of the great match they had in NXT. I'm sorry, that's a harsh reality. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the Rumble. We, we hit on the, the lack of star power a little bit earlier. I was just curious, here we are a couple of weeks out, has your prediction for the Royal Rumble changed at all? I, I don't, did I ever really have one set? Did I ever really feel strong going in any direction? No. And I did feel very strongly that Nakamura was going to win the Rumble, and I'm wavering on that more and more with every passing week. We're getting a, we're not really getting any emergence from you know these mid card programs. We're not seeing anyone get elevated. Everything's really based around these championships and, and management. Well, and I think part of what's hurting the rumble and and predictions for the rumble is there's so much star power outside of the rumble. You know, like it almost feels like it's logical that John Cena wins the rumble because there's like nobody in the rumble. Like if, know, really, if Randy Orton hadn't won the Rumble last year, I right now would put my money on Randy Orton. You know, looking at just the eleven we've got in here, yeah, your the logical choices would be Randy Orton or John Cena right now. I mean, I could see Balor winning the Rumble. I could see that. I don't think it's going to happen, but I could see that case. Him, Anderson, and Gallows go over to SmackDown. And then you have AJ and Finn and the Anderson and Gallows dynamic. I'm intrigued by that. I'm intrigued by that story. But I don't think it's going to happen. You know, we've got three weeks and we do have some, some big names showing up here in the next couple of weeks. You know, hopefully this starts to unfold. Like, like you were hitting on earlier, it's probably one of the most lackluster builds to a Royal Rumble that I can remember in quite some time, maybe my entire life as a fan. And there's one other big complaint that I have about the Royal Rumble this year. Can we please stop referring to them as the men's Royal Rumble match, the women's Royal Rumble match? 
Why can't it just be the Royal Rumble? I'm pretty sure John Cena is not entering the Women's Royal Rumble. By comparison, I'm pretty sure Alexa Bliss not going to be in the Men's Rumble. I don't need the clarification. It just turns people off because you treat us like we're freaking idiots. Got to hit those buzzwords, man. You got to hit them buzzwords. Oh. oh, and another thing. It's not history if you tell me that it's going to be history. Just do something <laughs> and do something big. And people will look back on it and say, wow, that was really historic. If you keep telling me it's going to be history making, it's going to be history making, it's going to be history making, it's going to be history making. What I think is really funny that I picked up on, I think it was Monday when they mentioned this. Everyone just wants to be that first winner. You'll always be remembered throughout all of history. It's going to define your career. And I was sitting there thinking like, Hacksaw nope. Jim Duggan won the first <laughs> freaking Royal Rumble. Do you think anybody at like 20 years from now is going to look back on Carmella and be like, she won the first women's money in the bank. She belongs in the Hall of Fame. Nope. Ashley Ellsworth won that match, but yeah, well. And, and I know here's it. while we're on Rumble topics here, and we keep seeing people joking about, you know, is Santina going to be into this thing? You know, is Ellsworth? Uh, Breezy Bella. I, that's all fun to joke about. I think if they if they pull anything like that, it is a complete slap in the face. Oh, you're to right. Every other competitor that's in that ring. Oh, but you're you know right. What? Hey, the hell with it because they every week they run out there, they slap these ladies in the face. It's it's not about them. And I said this in the locker room the other day. I will continue to say it. The crop that we have now, the ladies that we have performing for us right now are viewed more as objects than any other era that we have seen in the last in this in the WrestleMania era. It's gonna be Santino. They're gonna do that. I almost guarantee it. Santino I'm not gonna be be shocked by it. Santino it's a total slap in the face. No, because here's here's what it's gonna be. Santino is gonna be in both rumbles. He's, he's, he's going to take a legend spot in both rumbles. That's what it's going to be. And then going down with the only, the only positive I can see is, you know, how entertained I am by Jim Cornette and his just hate. for Santino. I still think <laughs> just hearing him rip, rip into, uh, Santino. you know what? That might be a good for the Jim Cornette drive through question. I might email that in tomorrow. I'm telling you, if if Cornette would have just been Jericho's manager at Wrestle Kingdom and taken a super kick from the Young Bucks, all the stars, all of them, not six, not seven, not eight, all the stars, Meltzer would have gave that all the stars. Hey, you going back to what we opened the show with just real quick, you're talking about a name that would get some hype going amongst the hardcores, man, if they could get Cornette as part of that show somehow. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, that would do it. I would pay to see the Young Bucks super kick Jim Cornette. 999 yen. So let's uh, talk a little bit of Ring of Honor. Before we jump into this uh, portion of the show, I, I'm going to put out a disclaimer that there may be some spoilers here. And Rick and I were talking about this off air before the show. If I am a week ahead, somebody let me know. 
and will will like take a week off from Ring of Honor and come back or something. The problem here is the syndicated show airs at random times all throughout the country. So we don't know where everything is at. And myself being a employee of the company that owns Ring of Honor, I see it like immediately. So if we're screwing things up for you and you want us to die down the Ring of Honor talk, somebody just let us know. Uh, hey, you know, you think if you get the inside take Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, Hacker Hamid Media Group in the locker room, when it comes to Ring of Honor, you're getting the real inside take here. We've got an actual employee with access to the, to the shows beforehand. True so, story. Hey, man, hitting, hitting Mark Pro Wrestling Podcast, we are ahead of the curve when it comes to Ring of Honor. Uh, this was a very good show. Very good show. Uh, on this show, show kicks off with Will Ospreay and Jay Lethal, which in a way is a great match and in a way is a very bad match because this is a pay-per-view quality match that goes probably about 23 minutes. And Marty Skrull is on commentary talking about how he won at final battle because that Jay Lethal isn't the Jay Lethal that was here a couple of months ago. That's evil Jay Lethal, and you all just don't realize it yet. Very intrigued by Marty bringing the villain out of Jay Lethal and to see where this goes. Are we going to get full-on heel Jay Lethal when it comes to Jay Lethal versus Dalton Castle? That's, that's kind of my question here. I, I hope that is the direction that they're going in. When, when Jay Lethal is that just pure, I guess no pun intended here, villain character, man, he has been great. Yeah, he's fantastic when he's and, in that you know, mode. He's been running stagnant you know, for the better part of 2017. It would be great to re-energize such an amazing talent with a turn, and an intense turn, such as that. And like you said, you, know, you got to see this a bit earlier. I'm not sure where everyone else has. I have not seen this one yet. But I, I'm looking forward to this because I want to see how Scroll brings this to life. And, and I love the angle they're going here with, you know, I really won that match because what I was trying to get out of him, look, look what's being projected now. Also on this show, you get the first promo from SoCal Uncensored. Love that name. SoCal Uncensored, for those out of the loop, is Frankie Kazarian, Christopher Daniels, and Scorpio Sky. And the war between the addiction and Bullet Club rages on as these three are coming now for the Hung Bucks. Being Adam Page and the Young Bucks, the six-man champions. However, the addiction have gotten a little out of control in Ring of Honor. And I don't know who is booking Ring of Honor right now, but uh, they pulled a ghetto on this. Joe Coff has had it with the addiction shit. You get the very rare appearance from Joe Coff on this show. And he announces that their contracts are up the day after final battle. And that day, we will not be renewing your contracts. Final battle is in December, guys. This is going to be a year-long story of the addiction versus Ring of Honor. And I'm fascinated to see where this goes. Because Daniels and Kazarian, they're the kind of guys that can pull this damn thing off. 
Very, very intrigued. I love when we get these. You know, they lay them out. You know it's going to go that long. How is this going to play out? You know, what length will the addiction go to to just to just run rugged over Ring of Honor? Are they going to try to counter this thing? So many different angles that could go. We're going to get a whole year to watch, you know, just some incredible performers bring this thing to life for us. Yeah, fascinated, especially with Christopher Daniels. Because Daniels is kind of in that Jericho role at this point. How do you feel about Christopher Daniels? Did you Are you a Daniels fan? Uh, always been a big fan of his work. How come uh, that guy never got it? Uh, well, I, 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 I know why, because I've heard Bruce Pritchard tell the story, but. Well, what was his? Refresh my memory from Pritchard. Well, you remember uh, the whole uh, Under the Hood, Vince McMahon? It was me, Austin. It was right. me all along. That was supposed to be Christopher Daniels. Okay, I do remember when you mentioned it there. And then, and then Vince saw Daniels and went, "Look at him; he's only six foot tall. What am I gonna do with him?" And that was the end of Christopher Daniels in WWE. Well, you know, just in WWE, you're saying why didn't he? He never really even got that fair chance to to carry the ball in in TNA wrestling. They, he didn't even really get the chance to carry it in Ring of Honor. I mean, they put the title on him, and it was a nice feel good moment. And then the champion turned heel, and they took the title off of him, and it was a very non memorable title reign. It was one of those cases where, you know, obviously his size factored into it. I mean, and that, that has to be put out there. But a lot of it with him. With Daniels, it's it's kind of been that wrong time, wrong place. You know, they they didn't really need to elevate him at that time or something. He he was good in that mid card role. Man. I've always been a huge fan of his work. I, th- I think he does great character work, tremendous in ring work. You know, he w- he wasn't really just one of those dive guys. You actually would buy into what he was presenting in the ring. Yeah, because I, I I feel like TNA was built on the shoulders of Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles. You know, what they were doing in the X division a decade and a half ago was just some incredible stuff. Uh, also on this show, everything goes to hell. Like I, I, here I am putting over everything on this episode and then everything goes to hell because the main event is Dalton Castle's first match on ring of honor TV since winning the championship. And it's a six man tag with Dalton Castle and the boys taking on the kingdom. And it was not a good match or it was Dalton Castle and the boys taking on the kingdom. And I was just like, that's first time out on TV, ROH champion, six man tag. I, I like Dalton Castle, man, but I just cannot see him in this championship role for very long. Well, I know this is just, it's really rubbing you wrong because, you know, with Ring of Honor getting away from the pure wrestling background into that more that more sports entertainment direction i mean you were you feared this through 2017 that they were going to continue this into 18 and i i know it's been rubbing you wrong i mean did the match i mean was it what kind of match was it did it work more of the sports entertainment comedy gimmick or was it it was every dalton castle match that you've ever seen you know i mean it's dalton castle doing dalton castle and the boys it's that shtick you know and it's it's fine. It's good. I enjoy it. I just don't see it on the top of the card. You know, I, it just, it kind of rubs me the wrong way, man. Kind of rubs me the wrong way. 
The only other thing I really wanted to talk about on this show was a little bit of New Japan news. Uh, hey, was was Cody at any of those tapings? Was he involved in nope. any of that? Nope. Okay. Haven't, haven't seen I, Cody. Haven't heard from I, Cody. I think I've asked you that before. I just couldn't remember if you had anything to do on those tapings. But that all plays in, I guess, which is a little transition. That plays in probably his involvement at Wrestle Kingdom with New Japan, correct? Yep. Uh, number one, when we talk New Japan, Rick, have you seen the newest episode of Being the Elite? Uh, I have not yet. Uh, it is out, and it is kind of tense. Everybody should go check that out. Little uh, Kenny and Cody storyline going on there. So New Japan has announced. Well, let, me, let me ask you something real quick on that. Yeah, I know we, we've. I think we covered it in the locker room, but maybe a little more in depth. Maybe if you have time to think about it here again, does it really make any sense for either of them to leave the Bullet Club or to have those two split like that? Nope, not before September first. Can tell you that. Unless you, unless you're gonna build to Kenny versus Cody September first. I just think you know those two together. You know, all of them involved together. You keep that because the movement that they have got. And especially, you know, I, and being a part of the Bullet Club is a huge reason that Cody is where he is right now. He's done so much, you know, tremendous work reinventing himself in the, in the character and all that and getting himself over. I don't know if it's there without the assistance of the Bullet Club. Kenny versus Cody as a main event. Does that sell 10,000 seats? I don't think so. I don't think it does. It, and I'm sure we'll really, as information comes out on that, we're going to revisit this thing over and over. Oh, yeah, because I'm going to be a, there. I guarantee your a, ass, I'm going to be there. If it's in Chicago, I'm going to be well, there. Well, if it's in Chicago, then I'm making the drive over. I will be there together. We'll be doing live shows that yep. weekend from Chicago. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. Uh, New Japan announced the New Beginning shows. Um, there's, I've, I've got three of them here that are the big shows. Uh, for if you're new to New Japan, you just got it thanks to Wrestle Kingdom. They do things by tours, okay? So there will be some shows on the tour that are big shows, and then there will be some shows that are going to be basically nothing but house show tag matches. But they will still be on New Japan World. Everything is on New Japan World. If it's a house really, show with 200 people, it'll be on New Japan World. I, I really wish that WWE would maybe. Uh, you know, pick up on a model somewhat similar to this where you have these grand tours that you hype things up. I think that would really help improve live event attendance. Yep. Completely. Hey, let's agree. not forget, you know, going back to like the Crockett days, NWA, like when you had Starcade and all that, those were tours. They weren't just with the big one-off event. They were huge tours. Yep. So these are the three dates that I think are the big shows that you need to tune into and all the shows in between are just going to lead to these matches. So I kind of wanted to get in a little bit into how Ghetto books things here, just so people new to the product can understand it a little bit. Uh, the first date is going to be January 27th in Sapporo, day one. Your main event is going to be for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship, Minoru Suzuki taking on Tanahashi. That's a match that everybody's going to want to see. On the undercard here, you have a six-man tag match, Rapungi 3K and Switchblade versus the Elite, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. Later on in the tour, you get Switchblade versus Omega, and you get Rapungi 3K versus the Young Bucks. That's how Ghetto books stuff. Uh, Will Ospreay and Yoshihashi taking on Hiromu and Naito. 
Obviously, we know Will Ospreay is going to be taking on Hiromu for the junior title later on in the tour. Never six-man match. Um, this is actually for the championship. Taguchi, uh, Hanare, and Makabe taking on Tamatonga, Tongaloa, and Bad Luck Fale. And Kitamura is still in his uh, seven-match series. When this is complete, they will make a decision if Kitamura stays on for a young lion as another year or if they send him off on excursion. Uh, second battle, Michael Elgin. How much you want to bet Kinemura just beats the ever-loving shit out of Michael Elgin? Because I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. Hey, I think this this would be a good time. I, I know that we've got a, quite a few listeners out there that it, that want us to keep up on New Japan, but just not you know roll out the cards here, but explain some things to them you know, so they can pick up on what's going on. We got new fans coming in that want to keep rolling with New Japan. Just briefly, if you could, dude, explain this Young Lion excursion deal. So the Young Lion excursion, when you Basically, you when you come up through the dojo in New Japan, you have a job for life, but you are treated as a young lion, and the young lions basically eat, sleep, shit, and train New Japan. That's how it works, and they are treated like absolute crap all the way down to people like Suzuki beating the ever-loving shit out of them at just about every show, unless they have a match, in which case... They can go out to the ring and try to get themselves over with the fans, but they have a very limited moveset. You'll see basically the same moveset out of every one of the Young Lions. And then at the end of their training, they go on these seven-match series. And the decision is made, do you stay as a Young Lion for another year and carry all the vets' bags and set up the rings and set up the chairs and do your thousand squats a day and clean the toilets in the dojo and keep the dojo looking good. And so it's like a year long rush week. Yep. Basically, basically, or whatever, whatever I, whatever, whatever you call that. What is the first phase when you're tr- not the rush week, but when you're trying to get into the fraternity initiation and this, all right, the initiation phase, like we were in a pan or whatever the hell. Yep. And it's not uncommon for these young lions when they come in, you know, they'll be 18, 19 years old and they'll stay young lions till they're 23, 24. And if you go through that shit for that long, you have a job with the company for life. So it's kind of like us in the locker room. Yep, very much so. <laughs> got to go in, earn your keep. We, gotta, we need to get us some young lines over here hitting the box for the wrestling podcast. We are now taking unpaid interns. <laughs> um, so then they have the seven-match series, and it's decided, do they stay a young lion, or do they go off on excursion? What excursion is, is they send you to typically either ring of honor or CMLL down in Mexico. And that's where you go and you develop your character, you develop your move set. And when you come back from excursion, when you are called back, that's when we'll see what you got. And there's always a couple every year. Uh, Hiromu Takahashi came back last year. Now he's a huge freaking star this uh, year. You Jay, White. Jay White and Rapungi 3k which were both at excursion at Ring of Honor, the Tempora boys and obviously Jay White, but completely different characters now that they have returned to Japan. So that's, in a nutshell, the Young Lion excursion. Uh, second big show is the very next day, January 28th, which is Sapporo Day 2. This match is going to be headlined by three matches. Uh, U.S. Heavyweight Championship, Switchblade versus Kenny Omega. Speaking of, one of our excursion guys. IWGP Junior Tag Titles, Rapungi 3K. Two more excursion. 
versus the Young Bucks. And then you have the Kitamura seven-match series, third battle versus Juice Robinson. Very much looking forward to that match, too. Juice has come so far. And I mean, you talk about Juice Robinson for a second. Juice, obviously, was in NXT as CJ Parker, was released, went to Japan, served a year as a young boy. They just never sent him on excursion because he's basically already on excursion. But he actually spent a year as a young lion, getting the shit kicked out of him by guys like Suzuki. And then, you know, he had that opportunity in a G1 yep. where he just began turning people's heads. And the first half of the G1, he basically got the shit kicked out of him. Second half of the G1, okay, let's give him a couple of wins and let's see what we can do with Juice Robinson here. And they slow build everybody. Final big match here is going to be February 10th in Osaka. There are shows all in between here. But the last big show is going to be February 10th in Osaka, Japan. IWGP Championship, Cold Skull Sonata taking on Okada for the IWGP Championship. That's going to be a big match. IWGP. Big setup setup from the dash, correct? Yep. IWGP never open weight title, Evil versus Goto. Junior heavyweight hey, big, title. Big shout out to Evil, man. He's been getting a lot of love over in the uh, hobby media discussion group. You know, a lot of people weren't really aware of him. Just that look has got people paying attention to him. And I think people are going and checking out some of his work. So, uh, you know, he's getting a lot of love over there. Wanatabe. IWGP junior heavyweight title. Will Ospreay taking on Hiromu Takahashi. What do all three of these matches have in common? Los... In Gobernables de Japón versus Chaos. Faction wars are building. I really think we're going to see a big faction war this year. Kitamura seven-match series, the sixth battle. Kitamura takes on Yuji Nagata, Mr. Blue Justice himself. Uh, If you want to go back and look on uh, New Japan World, one of the best moments of 2017 was Nagata's final G1 match. If that doesn't bring a tear to your eye as a wrestling fan, just stop watching because that that was pretty awesome. That was pretty awesome. And I'm not even a Yuji Nagata guy. So that's kind of what's going on in Japan, what's going on in Ring of Honor, what's going on on Raw, what's going on on SmackDown. By the time you hear this, you will have watched NXT, which looks like it's going to be a very good show. Very excited to watch that. Uh, we'll probably cover that maybe Saturday, Muse and Motes kind of thing. See what's going on here. Uh Rick, anything else that you wanted to talk about from across the world of professional wrestling this week? I think uh, hopefully we maybe we get some more news coming out of this, the Bullet Club show developments. Like you said, we're going to talk a little NXT. Hopefully we get some other big news coming forward here. Looking forward to the weekend show already and then moving forward to next week in uh, our next installment of The Locker Room. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod. Hit us on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Shoot us an email at HittingTheMarks at gmail.com. Uh, this coming Monday, you'll be able to find Rick and I over in the locker room at HackerHameen.Podbean.com. Be sure to subscribe to that stream for all your daily wrestling and conspiracy content. Uh, visit our friends over at TheGorillaPosition.com for your daily pro wrestling needs as they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. Rick, how do the Roman Reigns fanboys find you? As always, you get me on Twitter at TheRealRBV. 
And as always, I want to make an extra, uh, extend an extra invite for everyone to jump on Facebook. Be a part of the Hameen Media Discussion Group. By the time you are hearing this, it's Thursday afternoon. We are we are running out the first round of our best of the best 32 in the world tournament. We're going to open up big. We've got all of our number one seeds taking on the number eight seeds in each of our regions for the first day. You're going to want to check that out. Just not those matches, but the complete first round and through the entire tournament. I hope to see everybody there. So that's it for season two, episode two. We'll talk to you this weekend with more Muse and Notes. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Label me. Don't give up. Yeah. <laughs>